Welcome back to Holy Conversations, a podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We are so glad that you have joined us again for another episode. And I have my co-host, Bob Kaler, with me. Bob, how are you doing? Doing very well, Stephanie. And the question I want to ask you today as we begin is, what are you reading these days. (laughs) I love this question, especially for this particular podcast. Uh, As many of you know, I am a seminary student working on my MDiv at Asbury Theological Seminary. So I'm doing a lot of reading right now for my New Testament class and my missional formation class. In fact, I just got done with a book called Stony the Road We Trod. Try to say that three times fast. Uh, it's It was a great book. It was about the African-American and female perspectives on biblical interpretation. So it was very interesting. I would recommend it. What about you, Bob? What are you reading? Well, that's very erudite and, and <laughs> academic yes, uh, for what is. you're reading at this point. Uh, I've been I've been sort of bouncing back and forth between books. I read um, I read uh, Eric Larson's new book, which is kind of a history of Churchill during the Battle of Britain, uh, that oh, wow. one year period. Uh, the book is titled "The Splendid and the Vile." Really phenomenal book about crisis leadership, which is really relevant right now. Um, but the other thing I've been doing, and this is the segue, is that I've been reading books. One of the great things about being in a podcast situation like this is that people send you books and and you get advanced copies of books (laughs) to be able to read before they're published, before anybody ever sees them. And so that is why we have Adam Weber with us today. Adam is the pastor at Embrace Church, which is a multi-site church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But you also have churches in Minnesota too, right, Adam? Yeah, we have a campus in Minnesota, and then we have, um, I think, about seven or eight network churches that are throughout the Dakotas and Minnesota as well. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing model of church. And when you think of centers of church growth and explosion, you don't think of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but, but there it is. It's somehow, some way, God is able to move in the frozen tundra of South Dakota. <laughs> can anything so, good come out of? Yes, absolutely. Can, yes. I, I wonder that on a regular basis. I'm like, okay, maybe it can. Maybe it can. And Adam's a graduate of Asbury Seminary, as are all three of us, which mm-hmm. is part of the, the club. He's mm-hmm. the author of the best-selling book, Talking with God. And he's married to Becky. They have four kids and seven chickens. That was according to the bio on your on your church website. I would imagine there are probably potentially more chickens at this point. There, there are more chickens right now. I think we're up to like nine or ten, and then two dogs and uh, some some fish. There's, we won't allow any other living creatures in our house. Like we have hit our max. You've hit the max. Well, and you also say that once you made worldwide news when a turkey vulture fell out of the sky and landed on your back porch during an ice storm. I have to ask about that story. Yeah, you only get one chance at worldwide fame, and I wasted (laughs) mine on a turkey vulture. So (laughs) you only get one opportunity to go viral, and it happened. No, we had an ice storm, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago. Uh, a terrible ice storm and we normally don't get ice storms we just get snow and cold here and during the my during breakfast my my wife was in the kitchen and she's like something just fell out of the sky and I was like no and she's like I promise 
it's out in our backyard right now. And I'm like, what is falling from the sky? So I go for the door and she puts her hand in front of me. She's like, no, it is right on the other side of the door. And I, I, I open it up and there is this gigantic tur- turkey vulture covered <laughs> in ice. He had got his wings iced over and just it fell out of the sky. And uh, my favorite thing, I called animal control because I'm like, what do I do with this thing? And he, he said two things. He said, uh, they're actually gentle giants. He'll de-thaw and then he'll take off again at some point. Five hours later, he ended up doing it. But my favorite quote, he said, we've actually been getting calls all throughout town of turkey vultures falling out of the sky. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm not the only one. I'm just the only one who went viral. I took a picture, put it on Instagram. I think I had, no kidding, 20 followers. Well, one of them ended up being a local reporter with the newspaper. And then it went from there. That would be the only thing we'd need right now during coronavirus is yeah. turkey vultures randomly plummeting from the sky. That to- is actually, that's actually sad and also hilarious in the same breath. <laughs> I might need to repost uh, the turkey vulture and say, hey guys, at least turkey vultures ha- are not falling from the sky. Add it, add it to the list. I, I also know that you're a, you're a, a believer in lost causes because you're a Bengals fan. Oh my gosh, I thought we were going there. Yeah, uh, I'll just hold this old picture of Rudy Johnson just right here as we yeah. for, the, for the rest of our. Well, you took a shot at Steeler fans in your book, and and I'm from Western Pennsylvania, so I just had to get that out of the way at the very beginning. So I don't know if that terminates you... the interview at the moment, but but here it is. So this is a sad fact. You could tell me, hey Adam, I committed a crime. Hey, I'm not a good dad. You could tell me like some pretty aggressive things and I'd be like okay God's grace we're gonna be fine we're gonna get through this God can change anybody I'm not joking when I find out someone's a Steelers fan I'm like they don't have a soul they're unredeemable like uh maybe I am a Calvinist and Jesus only died for some of us like (laughs) we're we're comfortable with being the non-elect as long as we have six Lombardis so it's all good (laughs) we're fine with that actually. Oh, man. Well, you have a new book. You you have a new book out (laughs) aptly named Love Has a Name. Now that we've, now that we've established. The the only person I can't love. Except for parenthetically, you know, one, one segment of society. Um, But, but before we get to the book, tell us a little bit more about Embrace Church and your ministry there. Cause I think it's really exciting what you've been doing. The story of how, how that church came to be and how you were part of it um, is really fascinating. So can you give us a brief synopsis of that? Yeah, I'll try to share it as quickly as I can. So I grew up born and raised South Dakota and um, grew up in the church, uh, was Lutheran, all my extended family's Catholic, was, became very outspoken about not wanting to be a Christian and not being a Christian, including to my parents. Uh, we switched churches basically after I got confirmed and I told my parents it was the most I'd ever lied at one point. Um, Because I said I believed in Jesus and I didn't. Um, So we switched churches. Two family friends of my parents kept mentioning the same church. Um, It was Cornerstone United Methodist. At the time, it was Ninth Avenue Methodist in Watertown, South Dakota, an Asbury grad. I honestly think one of the most unsung Asbury grads. um, I mean, for me, he's a legend of the faith. Roger Spar. He's just retiring right now this year. Just a wonderful man. And so um, he, I came to Christ through Roger and, and Ninth Avenue Methodist. 
I went to college, had no desire of being a pastor. I always thought I'd do ministry outside the box. I went for business and marketing. The summer before my senior year of college, I was supposed to be on a spring break trip. I ended up at my home church for church. And my pastor, again, Roger, that I mentioned, uh, came up to me and said, I, I thought you were supposed to be on a spring break trip. And I, I thought the same thing. And uh, he said, actually, I got a phone call from my brother last night. And he's looking for someone to fill in for him this summer. And I said, well, I'm not really interested in being a youth pastor, and I need to get an internship in marketing, or I'm going to struggle. And he said, well, my brother's not a youth pastor. He's the, the, the pastor, and I really think you should consider it. I told him no every way possible. After the service, he said what every pastor says to make you feel guilty. Uh, did you have a chance to pray about it? I'm like, 45 minutes ago, I told you no. And so I ended up getting his brother's number, who's also an Asbury grad, uh, ended up uh, going through the craziest circumstances, fill in for that pastor, and that pastor is now my father-in-law. And so, uh, so kind of crazy. So um, finished my ma uh, finished my undergrad for business marketing, um, got married. The next day, we drove to Wilmore, Kentucky, went to seminary, and had a wonderful experience. Also found out that you do not have to suffer six months out of the year um, in winter. And so I'm like, I'm, we're never like both of us, like we're never going back there. I called my, I called my dad. It was almost like I had discovered new territory and I'm like, dad, there's places in this world where you don't have to die just because you don't have a coat, you know, like, like, like it's free, you know? And, uh, he's like, really tell me about this land. And I'm like, well, they call it Kentucky. You know, and it's like, so, so ended up and I was like, yeah, we would never go. We'll go visit and then we'll bring our coat and then we'll donate it before we go to a warmer place called home. But uh, Roger, again, this pastor, he called me one time and he said, hey, we've been praying about a church in Sioux Falls. We're up there a hundred miles north. What do you think about it? And I told Roger, I thought it was a bad idea. Sioux Falls has enough churches. And um, again, he kind of said what pastors make, say to make you feel guilty. Why don't you pray about it? I didn't pray about it. Through the craziest circumstances, I came back and um, to do my brother's wedding. And he said, like literally days before, he said, how about this? You send an email and I'll send an email. We'll see who shows up. That was September 4th, 2006. I was going into my last year of seminary and uh yeah 32 people came that night so throughout the my third year um i finished just under three years so i did my mdiv as fast as you can um so just under three years my last year there i'd fly back once a month to start services do not start a church from a thousand miles away got appointed which was like an act of congress for me to get appointed and uh, so we been, we started the church. That was the first day, September 4, 2006. We're now, we have four campuses, three locally, one in, in, in the cities, again, the network churches. Um, we're a church. Uh, our, our embrace comes from the story of the prodigal son. Um, I was reading through the New Living Translation of Luke chapter 15 at the same time for one of my Asbury classes. I was reading the prodigal son by Henry Nowen. And around the same time, I still don't know who he was. There was an old gentleman who came and preached on the story of the prodigal son at Estes Chapel. And he had Rembrandt's painting um, beside him in the pulpit. And after everybody left that day, um, I can remember looking at the painting and I, I said, God, I don't want to start a church. But if there was a church that looked like this, I'd want to be a part of it. Um, a person, a, a, a church and a people that for the person who's far from God, who feels like they've totally, you know, hit rock bottom out feeding pigs um, would be able to come back and feel welcomed. And, 
and really that's my story as well. Um, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church where I can come up and say like, man, I don't know about you. I, I don't want to hear that from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and cancer doesn't, oh, cancer is kind of, kind of bad. No, cancer sucks. Like, that's how I feel about it. Like, it's, it's, oh, it's kind of, oh, it's kind of sad you got cancer. No, it's not kind of sad. Like, it's devastating. Like, I, oh, it's kind of sad that you wouldn't know. Like, I love David. I mean, David's like emotional and shares it. And I, I, I wanted to be a place where I could share that. Because when I came to know Jesus, it changed everything about me. It was the greatest news that's ever been told. And I, I, I'm like, God, would you, would you, uh, I can remember Bob Tuttle at Asbury. He, he said, if um, we did certain things, picture him underneath our beds at night, like, like harassing us. And I pray this God, God would do the same thing. If on a Sunday I got up there and shared the so, so news about Jesus. Oh, that's my day to hang it up or at least take a break. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not, it's not so, so news about Jesus. It's the greatest news. Mm. And and so that's that's kind of the, the story. We have nothing figured out. Never copy, embrace. If there's something you could steal from us, steal away. But um, man, I'm a, I am an old stubborn mule. And if God can use me, he can use you too. And so I have next to nothing figured out except my need for Jesus. Oh, this is so good, Adam. I love it. I love that the church really is based on the idea of the prodigal son and the kind of love that the father gives to us in our deepest, darkest moment. Like, I just, I love that. And it, you know, kind of segues into your upcoming book. And then Bob mentioned it earlier called Love Has a Name. And I love how you work in these profiles of these different people in your life that you have loved and others that maybe you had to learn to love because they were a little difficult to love. So tell us about what sparked the idea for this book. Yeah, so I, I, I share it kind of um, openly. I, I, at the time, I was going through one of the hardest times of my life. Um, went through just a trial as a pastor, honestly, a leadership trial. And really, for the first time in my life, I didn't want to love anyone. Um, it's kind of my strongs. I have very few strong suits, but one of them is joy. Um, I have the gift of gab, which means I can talk to any kind of anybody, even, even, yeah, even a mannequin. I probably could strike up conversation and even a Steelers and, uh, fan. Yeah. Even a, even a, even a Steelers fan. Like they do have a soul folks. It's hard to see, but it's there. And then, uh, uh, um, like I just have a joy, like in a, in a love for people. Well, I mean, um, I, I feel like the older you get, the more life takes that out of you. And so really for the first time in my life, two years ago, I didn't want to love anybody. It was like, I want to love Jesus. I want to love my family and maybe a few close friends. And that's about it. Yet, unfortunately, Jesus is like, well, actually, that's great, Adam, that you feel that way. But uh, the most important things is loving me and loving people. It's like, oh, shoot. Okay, we probably should deal with that. <laughs> and so, uh, and so um, I just began to think as I worked on this book, I began to think about all the people who have shown me love. And it's really away apart from Jesus. And I would say even through these people, it's been the love of Jesus um, that has kept me going and has kept me uh, wanting to love others. And so I began to think about all these people who have loved me or I've tried to love them. And even um, my, my, the, uh, the, the first person that I mentioned away from Jesus is my elementary school best friend, and he's not a Christian. It's so cool that even through someone who doesn't know Jesus, maybe it's that thing called provenient grace that... Um, God can somehow, some way, even speak through a person who doesn't know God or is far from God. And so that's really where it kind of sparked from. Uh, so each chapter is the name of a person who's either loved me or I've tried to love them, paired with someone similar, similar that Jesus loved. 
And so each of these stories has kind of come alive. And I hope between a combination of my nerdiness and also just the sweetness of who Jesus is, uh, that each chapter would minister to people in a different way. This is a very different book because so often when we think about love, we'll do an exegetical exposition of what love is. We'll use the Greek words and we'll go through all of that stuff. <laughs> you, you don't do any of that in this book. You go straight at how it works on the ground with people, even when it's difficult, even when they wear black and gold. So you use not only examples of people in your life, but also people in the life of Jesus. And this is a book of stories. Yeah. And, and that's what I found so compelling about it. It was, it was a great read because it was just stories you could imagine people being there. What are some of your favorite stories in the book? Yeah, so uh, there, there's a bunch of them. And it's so cool because for me, each chapter is an actual person. Um, even chapter four is Antonio. Love adores extravagantly. So Antonio is um, 21 years old. He's an African American fella in our African American fella in our church, who's kind of got the um, capacity of roughly like a 10 or 11 year old. And the very first time I met Antonio, I was preaching and I was talking about something like cancer or divorce, and I started hearing laughter uh, in the sanctuary. Now I can preach over babies screaming, people falling asleep. Like I can preach or anything, but I'm like, it just, I remember thinking it really threw me for a loop. Like I didn't expect laughter there. So I kept, it stopped, he stopped laughing and I kept going. Well, the next week I was talking again about something super heavy and I hear someone laughing and I'm just like, man, am I like saying, do I not realize I'm making a joke or something? Like I, I, I didn't know what was happening. So afterwards I grabbed the campus pastor and I said, hey, do you know about the guy that's laughing? And he's like, let me introduce you to Antonio. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know. That's pretty crazy. So we go out, he brings me out in the entryway. And before I get up, get up to Antonio, uh, he sees me and he starts shaking. He's like, ah! And I'm like, okay, what's going on? I didn't know him at all. And uh, he's like, he, the camp smash is like, hey, this is Antonio and this is Adam. He's like, I know. Like, he's just like super excited. I'm like, Antonio, dude, have you been coming very long? Yeah. Like, I mean, he's just pumped to see me and uh i can just remember thinking uh i couldn't I, i've never had a time really that i just remember someone just genuinely loving me from the very first moment mm -hmm. and uh and when i began to uh, each week i began to look forward to seeing antonio and every time i talked with him he wasn't on his phone he wasn't scanning the room to see if there was somebody higher on the, the society charts than I was, you know, like I got to end this conversation so I can go talk with that person who's a little bit better. Instead, Antonio, every single time, he just loved me so well. Uh, a few weeks, I can remember a, a few uh, weeks later, I randomly saw him walking downtown with a group of friends, a group of kind of people from, uh, I believe his home. And um, I saw him and I'm like, Antonio, dude. And he didn't know where I was at, but he stopped in the middle of a busy intersection walking and is just like looking for me. And then he found me and he's like, and then I'm like, Antonio, keep going, <laughs> keep going. And so, uh, so that, that's Antonio. And, uh, uh, in the, in the Bible, there's this, um, there, there's this, there's this lady, Jesus is, is meeting with this Pharisee and there's this woman who comes up, ends up pouring perfume all over Jesus. And the Pharisee is just like, hey, can you know, like, can we just like get rid of her? 
Like, can we get rid of her? And uh, Jesus basically ends up saying, like, what she's doing is so beautiful. And um, what actually, she's the most important person in the room. Well, just to be transparent, um, we, we had s- several folks tell us about Antonio, like, hey, is there a way to keep him down? Like, to kind of quiet him? Like, he's kind of, I can't hear the message. It kind of feels inappropriate that he's laughing at these random times. And I, I couldn't help but think, I'm like, um, maybe, maybe Antonio is Jesus in our midst. And maybe, maybe we think what's most important is, hey, I'm having lunch with Jesus, lady. Like, like lady, this, you know, she's a certain immoral woman. So she's not even a lady, she's a piece of property. And so it's like, can you just, can you just get out of my, my like you, you object, like just kind of get out. Like, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a big deal. Like, woman, you, I don't even want to call you a woman. You're not even a person, you're a thing. Just get out of here. And, and Jesus is like, no, you're missing the whole thing. Like she, what she's doing is the most important thing. So I, with Antonio, I'm like, maybe sometimes in those moments, it's like maybe the preacher in the room that day is Antonio and it's not me. And I just think about Jesus coming to embrace someday. <laughs> hey, Adam, oh, author, I don't know what to even call you. Like, I know you pastor a church that's grown a little bit. I'll talk to you a little bit from now. I got to go see the VIP uh, it's Antonio, and I just know he's going to be so excited to see me, you know? And so he just taught me, Antonio taught me what it looks like to love extravagantly. I want that kind of, I want that kind of love. Um, another, another story from the book is uh, Bill. Bill is, uh, the chapter is, love is more than a theory. It's really, really messy. And I kind of start out by saying something that I've seen about myself. This isn't pointing fingers at anybody. Again, I got nothing figured out, but it seems like the longer we follow Jesus, the more clean and sanitized our lives become. And we get a nicer house and it gets a little bit cleaner and our neighborhoods are a little bit, you know, and it's just like anything messy in messy people. It's like, thankfully we got garages that we can drive in really quick and then close our garage door after hearing like this amazing message is so good about God's love and loving others. And uh, in six months, I'm going to take a missions trip and live it out, you know, like, and it's like, and, um, but it's like, it's so backwards. It's like, uh, the longer we follow Jesus, the messier life should be and the messier the people should be and the less sanitized the people should be. And, um, so that's great in theory. I always say I'm like the amazing in theory at stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Bill ended up moving into the rental behind our house. And at first it was totally okay. It was him and another guy that were living there, great neighbors, became friends with them right away. Uh, Well, then like two, three other people started moving in and then it felt like the whole town moved in and it became one of the most active drug houses in Sioux Falls. (laughs) And uh, we're finding needles. I I told my, I had to show my kids like, hey, this is what a needle looks like. And um, also on one occasion, he ended up introducing himself and uh, not introducing himself. We came over and said hello or whatever. And he's like, hey, I just thought you should know um, I'm, I'm a sex offender. And he's like, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And uh, you've maybe seen some traffic around the house. And I knew him well enough. I was like, some traffic? It's like a Walmart, like, like a super 
Target and Walmart combined back here. Like, I don't know what, what. and he's like, really? And then I said, yeah, I was like, I was actually going to stop over and give you guys some advice on how to sell drugs and not get caught. And he looked at me like, what? But he's like, again, uh, I'm trying to get my act together and I didn't do anything. Like, uh, I got charged as a sex. And so I'm like, Bill is basically the messiest person ever. Like literally there's trash everywhere, including needles. And then life, like, I mean, he doesn't even register on the society chart for anybody. He's at the bottom of the chart, even in prison he is. And so it's like, okay, okay. So this is messy because I got to love my kids and protect my own kids. And so there's that dynamic, which is very important. Shouldn't get brushed over, whatever. But then there's a dynamic of what does it look like to love Bill? And um, gosh, this is really messy. And, um, you know, like, it, just to be honest, I share this in the book. I called the cops on Bill many, 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 many times. Anytime we saw a drug activity, we called the cops. Anytime that literally it felt like a gunshot, like show was about to happen in our backyard, we called the cops. But that, that didn't change the way that I wanted Bill to see Jesus inside of me. And even when I called the cops, I, I felt like it was an act of love because I'm like, man, if Bill's struggling right now, maybe the most loving thing for him to do is get arrested just to help get him on track again. Like, cause, gosh, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pour into him relationally. He actually came to my church a few times. Like, and, and so like, it's just messy. And, uh, but I, I, I for me, I, I, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I want people to say, like, did you see Adam's friend? Friends with the guy who's had three affairs. Like, I don't know if you've heard that. And her, like, she was actually a prostitute before. Like, you know, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like, and she, she's not even that pretty. Like, how is she even a prostitute? Like, you know, like, I hope that's said about me. Like, have you heard about who attends that church and what they do? And so those are two of the stories that come to mind. I love that. I love that particular story because there's a there's an end to that story that I won't give away. But but it's yeah. kind, of re, kind of redemptive at the end about what happens with the house and all of that. So so make sure you check that out in the book because it is that is that is one of the most powerful stories in the in the entire book. It really really grabbed hold of me mm-hmm. for sure. Wow, you know, that's, that's fantastic. I love hearing about these stories. I'm excited for people to have a chance to get the book. It's going to be so good. So as you're, as you're writing these stories and you're connecting them to stories from scripture about how Jesus loved people. And I love it that you've told us the names, Antonio and Bill, and the fact that Jesus knew these people, like he, he knew them by name. He knows us each by name. And so I, I want you to share with our listeners, what do you think that knowing someone's name and knowing their story is the key to loving them well. Like what happens when we start to really know somebody's story? Oh, good, great question. When we know someone's story, it changes the other, when we know someone's name, it changes the other person and it also changes us. Mm-hmm. Um, for the other person, there's something so powerful about knowing someone's name and also, which represents their story more than anything. Like, just like realizing, I see you're a human, you know, whether it's the cash register, uh, person at the cash register, whether it's the, the person um, that we work alongside and we're in our little cubicle land, um, all the way to the executive of a company or someone who's 
famous. There's something about knowing a person's name and knowing their story that just makes them feel like they're not overlooked, seen, they're noticed. And that's true, again, regardless of where you are in society. I'll never forget, I had a chance to interview a professional basketball player and, and um, he was at uh, this camp that was, it was, had his name on the camp. And so there's thousands of people that are there just to talk to him. Well, through the ran most random opportunity, um, I got the only one-on-one -on -one interview with him out of everybody there. I got, I got the only one there. And uh, um, before the interview, I said, would you mind, and he's not an outspoken Christian at all. I said, would you mind if I asked you about God? And, um, and now all of a sudden it went from, he kind of went from almost ignoring me until he puts on his headphones I asked him just that, like, you know, I think he probably expected like, so you're, you're one basketball game, like to kind of treat him as an object, you know, cause he was going to sign a lot of autographs and take some, take a bunch of pictures. Instead of all of that, I'm like, would you care if I asked you about God? And he went from like robot to all of a sudden he looked at me and he said, I'd love that. Wow. And, uh, I said, would you mind if I asked about your family, like in the interview? And he's like, I'd love if you asked about my family. I mean, it was what I was saying to him is, I'm not, I don't want to use you and I don't want anything. I didn't ask him for a picture. I, didn't, I, I just was like, I just wanted him to know, like, I see you're a, you seem like a human being with a soul. And so there, there's something about even that person of just like their name. So it, it, it impacts the other person. I love when someone knows my name. And it just even when someone like is recognized the hu is the human inside of me, like that moment of like, okay, a bunch of people know your name, Adam, but like, hey, Adam, like you doing okay? I mean, it's almost like, hey, no, I'm calling Adam Austin. Like I'm talking about you as a person, like you doing okay? It just changes stuff, but it also changes stuff for us when we know a person's story. I mean, our, our neighbor who's really uptight, you know, it's like, he's so picky about his lawn and I got to keep my kids off of it because he gets nitpicky. And, and I don't know why, could he, but he kind of goes on my lawn with his lawnmower. But if I go on his, then he lets me know about it. Like, oh my gosh, can we just like make him move away? Like it totally changes when all of a sudden you find out that his, he lost his wife of 40 years a couple of years ago. Like, mm -hmm. And he's just trying to control anything he can just to feel like he has something that he's control of. I mean, it, it changes stuff. All of a sudden it's like, man, he's hurting. He's not, a, he's not just being a jerk. Like he doesn't know what else to care for because he's so used to caring for her. You know, and, and the, the girl who's easy to, to be with, <laughs> she's been with everybody. Like, oh, you know, like, just like who hasn't she been around with? You can talk about her really derogatory. All of a sudden you find out she was abused. It just all of a sudden it's like, man, like, hey, she's somebody's sister. Like, cut it out. She's somebody's mom. Like, you start defending her even if you don't know her because it's like, hey, whoa, whoa, totally out of bounds. Pe again, people who are not even Christians will start doing that. Like, hey, no, she's, she's off limits to talk about, you know? It just changes when you start to know someone's name and their story. And all of a sudden, even the person who is such a curmudgeon that you're like – maybe there is other people other than Steelers fans without souls, <laughs> but, like, but, but, like, but uh, just that person where you're like, I don't know if they do have a soul, but all of a sudden you start to hear their story and it's like your little like heart begins to like beat a little bit bigger. It's almost like the Grinch whose heart began to grow 
all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, do I really care about this guy? Like, okay, like maybe we should think about doing something for him. What? He's, he's been such a jerk. I know. Like maybe we could get like flowers because I heard this is the anniversary or something of when his wife, you know, like all of a sudden you're like, what am I doing? And love begins to flow. It just changes stuff. Well, and it's being like Jesus because you see him, of course, go oh. into Jericho. And of all the people crowded around, he looks up in the tree. There's Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Probably never been introduced before. Maybe knew him by reputation, but who knows? Calls him out. I'm going to your house today. And, and imagine you see what happens in just the midst of that transformation of just saying, here's a guy hiding out from everybody else. Here's, here's the name. And, and I, love that. I love that aspect of, of what you've written because when you, when you do get into the theology of it, there's a powerful and profound moment in the book that struck me as really helpful to think about that I'd never sort of put together before. And John says in his prologue to the gospel that he was as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Yeah. And too often, as you say in the book, we gravitate toward one or the other. We gravitate toward grace or we gravitate toward truth. But Jesus embodied both of those so powerfully. Um, how do we find that kind of balance? How do we find that balance between grace and truth that Jesus himself was demonstrating? Oh, it's, it's difficult. I, I think a good thing maybe to even start with is analyzing um, where you tend to lean. Like, do you tend to lean more grace or lean more towards truth? Because um, it's like, okay, I need more of one or the other. And I think there's even kind of emotional health to realizing that about yourself, you know, because uh, without both, it's no longer love. You know, like without, without both, it's, it's no longer love. I mean, truth without grace is just mean. And it's like a drill sergeant, like, oh my gosh, like, and it's the person who's like, of course, they're going to point it out. Of course, they're going to say this, of course. And then the, the grace person is the person you run to and you know, they're going to welcome you, which is great, but they also continue to enable you and like, you know, like never challenge you and never speak into you. Jesus was both. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is I am so broken and imperfect. I just think about Zacchaeus, like my own family doesn't want me around. I'm unable to worship with them because of who I am. And yet I'm so drawn to Jesus that I'm willing to climb up into a tree just to find out a little bit more about him. You know? yeah. like, that's crazy. It's like, what? And so that's, that's the grace and the truth part. I think this is the part that we often leave out. Like people are hungering for truth. I feel like our world is like desperate for truth. And the truth is one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 40. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. You know, he set me on a new path and he put a new song. That's awesome. It's like, I want a new song to sing. You know, I think our people come to church oftentimes and it's like, yeah, actually, you're completely okay. It's like, no, I'm not okay. That's why I'm at church for the first time in two decades. Like, no, you're totally okay. No, I've actually thought about killing myself. Like, that doesn't seem okay. No, you're totally okay. No, actually, I'm not. I'm pretty miserable. Like, you know, and so it's like, Jesus is both. And I think he's so wonderful. And that's challenging. Like, I, 
I just think about that story of Zacchaeus. Sometimes we're Zacchaeus and sometimes we're the crowd, you know? Like sometimes we're Zacchaeus and we're like, I just want someone to still uh, recognize that I'm made in the image of God after my mistakes, after I screw up. I just want someone to love me when I feel like everybody's walked out on me. Quick side note, Christians are often the first people to walk out, which is sad. It should be the opposite. And so sometimes we're Zacchaeus. Other times we're in the crowd and it's like, you, you know him? Like, I, I just think there are so many times where I'm like mad at Jesus when I read this. <laughs> like, like, you know him? Him? What? Haven't you heard? And you're going to go to his house? Like, what? Like, how can that possibly be? And so sometimes we need to hear, Adam, Jesus knows your name. And then other times we need to hear, hey, Adam, the person who annoys you, who you're angry at, who you're bitter at, who you think has hurt you and wronged you, and maybe they actually absolutely have hurt and wronged you, Jesus knows their name as well. You know, and that's like the Sermon on the Mount type stuff. Like anybody can love someone who loves them. What about that guy though? Your enemy. You know, it's like, I don't like that Jesus. (laughs) So, but those two things together, we need both. And churches need both. Maybe another thing as a pastor is to acknowledge where you're at even, or a leader, like what, 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 like where, because it's both. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's not even a balance. It's both. And um, we need both. Ooh, yes. Amen. Preach it, brother. That is good, good stuff. Okay. I'm going to switch gears for just a second yeah. because we know that, you know, there's a lot of division in the world right now. There's a lot of conflict, just, I mean, you name it, you can find conflict there. So, and we know that with the church right now, we're struggling with this idea of separation. What does the future look like? All all those things. So tell us how will some of the principles that we find in this new book, Love Has a Name, how are they going to help us negotiate the days ahead? Because we really want to reflect the love of Christ in the midst of walking in the difficulty and the division and the conflict and the separation, the whole thing. So how can we do that? What are some practical ways we can love those who don't always agree with us? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, There's two chapters that really hit close to home on this. One is love reaches out to the different. And we, we have this, and this is both, both sides, like uh, conservative, progressive, both are guilty is the, of the cancel culture, like, like I love you unless you think differently than peace out, you know, like it's just, uh, I'm like, at what point did that happen? Like, when did we do that? Um, a question again, this would be good to ask all, do you have anybody that is a friend, not even just an acquaintance who thinks differently than you? I mean, like these are just kind of foundational heart things and and good friends and would even say they respect you. Um, I like, that's a good starting point specifically for, you know, more, more of the conservative side of, of the picture. I mean, the, the word of God that we're so quick to speak of, like says some challenging things around this. And so it's easy to point fingers and wow, but they should do this and they should do that. Like just checking our soul and our words and our tone and everything big time. I mean, just, I think that's, there's so many things of just like, again, do you have any friends who think differently than you? And trying to gain their perspective, trying to understand what, where, where, where they come from. Um, I think that's the biggest starting point. I've never been to a general conference. I have no desire um, 
like to ever it's like Heinz Field another place I have no desire to ever <laughs> why would I go there like what good could happen if I do that you know it's kind of like out after midnight like just you know nothing good takes place after midnight so like there's 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 that part of things so I think a lot of like I think the book will really challenge like really that perception like um just Jesus hung out with people he fully disagreed with and agree to disagree like that's an okay thing like that's a that's a mature mature people not even with Jesus mature humans can agree to disagree and not leave thinking the other person's the enemy and so I, I think there are some aspects of that specifically with our denomination uh, I was just thinking as I sat here I interviewed uh, Gary Thomas um, a few years ago he's written you know sacred marriage like some solid wonderful books his most recent book i think i have it somewhere around here is on toxic relationships and and for me uh i feel like at times our denomination might be that and like i don't know if that's what you're wanting me to say say or not <laughs> but they're like i'm just like there's times when it's like this is so not healthy like we are hurting the kingdom like and i would say that to progressive friends and conservative friends like gosh our example is we're destroying it you know and um i mean it's it's it, there's different times in the bible where people walk away from each other like and they separate and i i just i just for me i'm kind of at that place i'm like i think that's where we're at how can we do that in the most honoring way you know, in the most like grace-filled, truth-filled, I want to bless you sort of way. Um, I think, I think, I think it, uh, but it starts with humility and compassion and honest conversations and relationships. You know, the Dakotas conference, one thing I'll break on us is what we just know each other fairly well. Like our, like, it's not like, like, it's not the stereotypes and the labels. It's like, no, he's a really good guy. She's a really great pastor. We just agree to disagree. Like, you know, like we're just different in that. And I, I feel like uh, also we're fairly moderate in the Dakotas. And so our differences aren't that different. But when you start to look at the denomination, that's not where we're at as a denomination. I mean, it's like very different. It's like uh, sexuality and marriage, I feel like is just a tiny part of a much bigger conversation um i mean it's like very uh, like people i would not agree with on the ends of both sides you know and so i think it's like gosh how do we again treat each other with dignity and respect even though we agree to disagree you know like do we live in such a way jesus people who totally lived different lifestyles and different thoughts and opinions or whatever again are climbing trees to see us do we, do we live that way that it's like, disagree everything Adam stands for, man, I love him and man, I respect him. And I, gosh, if I just want to ask his opinion on this and that, cause I just really, like, he's really great. We're different on those couple things. That's another thing. It's like, if we agree to disagree on a couple of things, it's like, nope, we just hack people off. And I'm like, gosh, I just, I, I just feel like between any two human beings, I mean, literally, like, it's kind of a joke, but like, Cincinnati Bengals, Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, we can't be friends anymore. Like, uh, you know, like, like, uh, 
like uh, epidural or natural childbirth. Okay, we can't like, uh, you know, homeschool, public school, private school, like, oh, we can't be friends. I mean, like, we are so quick to like find these harsh lines instead of like, hey, where are we in common? Like, where can we partner? And, um, and just because you partner with someone doesn't mean you're signing off on everything they stand for. So I think, again, for me, it's really kind of two conversations. It's like how to love each other and treat each other as a human. And then this specific connection and relationship, if it's toxic and it's just like, it's not going to work, like how to um, respectfully separate and really bless each other in the process. I, I just, it's totally different. I'm oversimplified. I'm not sure I should say this. I even, I even think about how different staff transition in the past and from any company or church, you know, those those staff who leave, even if they had disagreements and just praise and honor and respect. And from the outside, it's like, man, that was awesome. And then your closest friends are like, you know, I left because I disagreed with that, but this church is still doing great things. You know, that's a healthy person rather than the person who maybe disagrees with one little tiny thing. And, um, you know, life update, leaving this church cause they're going to hell. Like, you know, and they're leaving this company cause the blah, blah, and just destroying each other. That's, that's, that's the sign of immaturity and unhealthiness. And so it's like, I, I think we can do, I think we can show the love of Jesus even through a separation. I think that's why your book is so timely. I think it comes at a really great time in not just the history of the church, but also in this particular setting, because we see this across the culture as well. Yeah. Uh, people canceling one another out and you've given us some great examples and not just a theory, but really on the ground about how to, how to love those who may be difficult for us to love and to recognize that there are times that we're unlovable too. Yeah, oh my we gosh. That. We need that too. Um, I, so. I saw, I saw someone the other day who was a perfect picture of me in life. Um, it was a person right now. It's, it's hot button, but it's like to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And so a person is wearing a mask in their car driving. They drove by my house, wearing a mask. It was like a 20 something wearing a mask. So they're wearing a mask, um, while texting. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and like, it's easy. So here, here's what's easy. Oh my gosh. You're talking out of two sides of your mouth. Like your opinion doesn't matter anymore. Like I cancel you. I cut you off. I stereotype you. Or the other way is like, man, that is the picture of my life. I am a walking contradiction. I am hypocritical as all get out. I say one thing and do the next. I try to help be helpful here. And then I, and I do that. Like, I think like that's the heart of, of God it, it, that he wants for us is uh, it's easy to pour that point out the sinner and say, I'm, thank God I'm not like that person. It's another thing when you start out, like from the perspective of no God, I need you. What was me? I'm a sinner. I need you. Great stuff. You know, we're, we're about to wrap up here. We're running out of time and, and I want to make sure we honor your time. But just in the last few minutes we have, I kind of want to talk about the future of the church. I'm thinking capital C church. Yeah. As someone who's planted a church, you've seen significant growth. We know we're in the midst of this really weird season 
where um, it's very difficult to meet in person. Everybody's concerned about what the future of the church might look like. What are some of the opportunities and challenges we might have for the years ahead as, as far as the church goes from your perspective as someone who's a church planter? Yeah. First thing I'd say is if you're discouraged, you're not alone. Um, whether you have a church of 50 or a church of a couple thousand, few thousand, whatever it is, uh, every Monday there's someone on our team or there's a, a group of people on our team highly discouraged. Um, one of my, our first full-time hire is still here. Uh, he is, helps lead our message series process, all that kind of stuff. A few weeks ago, he said, uh, it seems like every part of my job that I love has been taken away. You know, so I just want to hear that because I just always, I always know when I look at churches bigger than me or whatever, I'm like, oh, but they don't feel this way. Totally not true. And so just okay. It's okay to feel discouraged. Um, and, and really, it's just so it's just okay to feel discouraged. Like, uh, it's okay to feel that I, I, don't, I would challenge you not to stay there. Um, but it's okay just to feel that way. Anybody who says they don't feel that way is flat out lying. And I think that would be true of the largest churches, most successful churches in our world would say that. There is opportunity though, like not, like not taking light, lightly the heartache that our world is experiencing right now. And even the church is experiencing it right now. I genuinely believe this might be the best thing that's ever happened to the church in my lifetime of just forcing us to do things differently like forcing us. It's like, it's not even, and that's for even embrace. I mean, we're being forced even in me. Uh, so we've started physical services again, even me. I was like, but when we get back to normal, you know, like there was a clip going around all over the internet of Chris Farley coming back in and it was like first Sunday back in church and he's high fiving. We're still at like 40% of worship attendance from a year ago and pre virus. We were actually in a huge growth swing. So I actually think it's an even more distort, like worse because we were like really entering into what I believe is the greatest season of growth in the history of our church and just, you know, and so, um, so, but so there, I just kept thinking like when we go back and so everything was temporary in my brain, we're going to do this temporarily. Um, we're really trying to think like, what is, what do we need to be doing? How does it need to look? And so I feel like we've doubled down even on online stuff, um, even what discipleship looks like. Um, I'm a huge alpha person, the alpha course. Um, I, oh, I just love alpha. Nicky Gumbel, I believe he's got to be in his 60s. I interviewed him a month or so ago. And to see his excitement about online alpha, he said he had been strongly opposed to it his entire life. And now he said, the remainder of my life, we will never not have online courses because of the success that it's seen. And so I just think it was so cool to see someone like Nikki. It'd be easy for him to be very set in his ways, shifting gears. I want to be quick to shift gears. And so um, maybe there's some huge changes that need to be made. Um, even for us, we're trying to look for ways that we can help other churches. So we have churches um, that are called network churches. They utilize our message each week. And... Um, uh, I think it's like 200 bucks a month to get our, our message. And all we cover is the feed that it takes to get to them. So we don't make any money off it. Um, but we've now added children's material, new content every week as a part of that too. And so there's a group of churches that are on the fence right now of like, um, but I don't live close to you. That's fine. Um, but we want to stay our own separate church. Yeah, we don't want you to become embraced. You should stay your own separate church. We won't. But it's one way that we can begin to bless people because it's like, you mean we can show your message 
and um, and also kids curriculum for free. It's like, yep, free of charge. Anytime that you don't want to use our message, you don't even tell us. You just preach your message. And so we're just looking at like, I think the collaboration is going to be an element of things. And so um, what does that look like? I think it's just trial and error. Some, an idea that we got from a person on our lead team, she's worked with everyone from Facebook, um, huge companies, like, I believe like Coca-Cola, all this kind of stuff. She started to think, what if our discipleship model uh, is really shepherding 10 people? And it may not even begin to get, getting together physically. It might be a Zoom call once every other week. Maybe a part of it is hope holding a worship service at your house, utilizing the online service, and you invite those 10 people over, or like however many. Maybe it's just a few couples over. Um, maybe you just have 10 people that you text or you call. You're in charge of shepherding them, so you just touch base with them once every other week. Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? And what, is, what does it look like if we never physically get together, but I shepherd these 10 people? And so I'm like, gosh, that's a fascinating idea. Like, what does that look like? Um, so there's just different opportunities right now. I, I do not, I, I can say this for any churches who have not reopened, new, the normal is not coming back. I've finally decided that's not going to happen. Even for us, we're preparing, like, what happens if it goes backwards again? And I think that's probably going to happen, regardless of what your viewpoint is on it. I, I, I don't even know what a viewpoint is on it. Um, it's yeah, so just really trying new things. Message is still the same. I mean, we're, we're, we're built off a church who was criticized when the, when the Methodist church first came to the United States, because we really didn't have pastors. We had random people who would get on a horse and ride from one place to the next, you know, like it's really a part of our identity. We should be doing things that people in the church and outside the church criticize if we truly want to be Methodists. Um, it's like, but that's not church. That's not church. You know, like, yeah, it's, gosh, that's actually part of our history is being criticized in some ways for doing things outside the box. Well, Adam, I absolutely love the, all these outside of the box ideas. I'm so excited about your book. I can't wait for people to be able to get their hands on it called love has a name. Also, don't forget, uh, his other best-selling book talking with God. So look those up. You're going to love it. It's, just awesome. And Adam, it has been great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for sharing all these great insights, your time, your love, your passion for Jesus. Thank you. Oh, I'm so honored. One last thing I'll share is we, it's a free resource to anybody, any pastors or leaders um, is being able to preach the series at your church. If you're interested, all the graphics, bumper videos, message outlines, everything are free of church on a uh, free of charge on the website too. And so that's interest, but this was wonderful. One of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And thank you so much for, for speaking into us uh, on a regular basis. I just give thanks to the both of you. Can you yeah. give us that website, Adam? So everybody can. can yeah. Have it. The we'll website it the is just, well. it's, it's just Adam, Adam dot, Adam Weber.com backslash preach L H A N, which stands for love as a name. So Adam Weber.com backslash preach L H A N and everything there is offered free of charge. Excellent. We'll put that in the show notes so everybody can grab onto it. And uh, also encourage you to check out Embrace Church online. And as Stephanie said, um, it's been really great to to spend this time oh. with you, Adam. And we look forward to, to talking with you again down the road, we hope. And I want to remind all of you who are listening that you can leave us comments and questions 
at our, at our email, podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. We're also on Twitter at WCA Pod. So we hope you'll connect with us. We look forward to great uh, interviews like this in the future. Thank you once again for joining us on this episode of Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We'll see you next time. Thank you.